Well, we're going to go ahead and go to prayer and then going to be looking in Luke chapter 1. If you would pray with us as we go into prayer specifically about mothers on this Mother's Day. Lord, we come before you today about as conflicted as we can handle. We hold both joy and sorrow together on this special day. The weight of each of these does not create a balance in us, but a tension, full death and full resurrection that collides in one celebration on Mother's Day. We celebrate our moms. We celebrate with clear declaration of your love as demonstrated by so many of our true heroes that are among us this day. These are your people who lead and change the world. One act of selfless service at a time. We worship you for our moms and the countless hours of affection and care that they have given to us and to our faith community. We do pray for those today who feel like bad moms, who come even to this day tired from the endless cycle of self-criticism and desire to offer their kids something better than they did the day before. Remind them in the midst of this very difficult coronavirus season, remind them that shame is a monster that never exposes truth but always takes away from your loving and affectionate desired embrace. Remind moms that are wrung out this morning that you are there for them, that you have selected them for their kids and have a great plan of flourishing of, and hope in mind. Remind them that they are children of the great Abba, loved and cradled far before they have to reflect that to their children. We also grieve this day, Lord, we grieve alongside your maternal love that grieves. We grieve of children that have perished. We grieve for the moms who are gone. We grieve for those in the confusion and throes of infertility. We grieve for those that this day is a reminder of love they did not receive from the moms they were given. We grieve family disappointment and estrangement that holds deeper triggers this day. Please remind each mom that you see them deeply, deeply, and truly. For those in our church that uh, cannot even make to turn on a video feed of uh, Mother's Day or can't really face the reality of it, we ask you for their care for them. And in effort, may we reach out to them and, and God help us to see those that are suffering on this day because of all the dynamics at play. Lastly, we pray for all of us that we might understand the depth and breadth and height and length of your love and how you affectionately care for us in which we celebrate uniquely on this day. In the name of Jesus, amen. We're going to go ahead and go to Luke chapter 1, as we said. What we want to say going into this morning is very simply this. One of the most precious things about God is His unique and beautiful maternal care 
for his people, his maternal care. Now, I know when, when we hear that and even pray alongside of that, we can be thinking, well, isn't God a dude? Isn't God male? Isn't God all, all the aspects of what it means to be male? That's kind of where we find God locked in in our minds. God does call himself Father. All three members of the Trinity throughout the Old and New Testament are referred to as He. The church is the bride. Christ is the bridegroom. Jesus is a man. Nowhere in scripture is Jesus called daughter or sister. Nowhere is God the Father referred to as God the mother. But I believe as we look at the text today, we can see one of the most precious things about God is his maternal care for his people. The, what we're going to be looking at um, is uh, in cha- Luke chapter 1. But behind this uh, text that you'll see, there's a painting. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about the painting because it's become uh, a trigger, a starting point for me in some of uh, some looks that I've had to take at Scripture. This is a painting uh, called The Prodigal Son by Rembrandt in 1669 when Rembrandt was at the end of his painting career. He's depicting Luke chapter 15 of when the prodigal son returns to the loving father. And this painting is one of his more famous ones. It hangs in my office and it has meant a lot to me. Uh, Henry Nouwen, who I've quoted before, uh, talks a lot about this painting. It was a spiritual awakening for him to look at Luke chapter 15 and then also reflect on this Rembrandt's painting. And there's a number of things that were significant to him. Nouwen was a professor at Yale and Harvard and uh, wrote many works on spirituality and understanding who God is. In his book, uh, The Return of the Prodigal Son, named after this painting and in Luke 15, uh, Nouwen writes this about the hands. The hands are significant to Nouwen in this painting. These are the hands of the father resting on the shoulders, the embrace of the son. And he notes that if you look at the hands, one hand looks masculine and the other hand looks feminine. And of course, as many of these things are researched by our critics, etc., it is assumed that this female hand derives from one of his other paintings and this male hand actually is a representation of Rembrandt's own hand and on it goes. But in looking at understanding Luke 15 of God the Father figure as having a fatherly hand and a motherly hand, uh, Nowen writes this, As soon as I recognized the difference between the two hands of the Father, a new world of meaning opened up for me. The Father is not simply a great patriarch. He touches the Son with a masculine hand and a feminine hand. He holds and caresses. He is indeed God in whom both manhood, womanhood, fatherhood, and motherhood are fully present. That gentle, caressing right hand echoes from me the words of the prophet Isaiah. Can a woman forget her baby at the breast, feel no pity for the child she has born? Even if these were to forget, I shall not forget you. Look, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. And I know already as we're looking at this, um, 
it, that sounds like, wait, what are you saying? I'm not saying that we refer to God as Mother God. I don't see any type of prayer or scripture that, that sh- encourages us to look to God as a pronoun she. But as Nowen talked about this, and this created some question for me, it sent me to look at scripture. For instance, Genesis 1.26, when it says God created male and female together, making up his own image. It's not that male was his image and that female was some sort of helper for the one bearing his image. Male and female, their union together, both hands were representing the full image of God. Passages like Isaiah 66, as a mother comforts her child, so I comfort you. Matthew 23, Jesus calling out, longing for Jerusalem, saying, I want to bring you together like a mother hen brings together her chicks. Deuteronomy 32, God compared to a mother eagle. Hosea 13, a mother bear. Some of you know exactly what he's talking about. Psalms 131, as a nursing mother with a weaned child on his lap. Luke 15, 8 through 10, Isaiah 42. There are different images of God where his love and his care is compared to that of a mother's care. So as we look forward, we are not looking to, to talk all about, is God a she? That's not what the scripture is teaching us, I believe But I believe that God the Father, both fathers and mothers, his children. And we're going to be looking today specifically at what does it mean to be mothered by God. What does it mean to experience the maternal care of God? And secondly, how does God's maternal care inform spiritual motherhood in our families and in the family of God? For that, we're going to be reading out of Luke chapter 1, looking at uh, the character Mary. We know more about Mary than all but five New Testament characters, and Mary, the mother of God. And this is going to be, sound a lot like Christmas as I read, but I think it informs both a view of how God took care of Mary and how uh, women specifically are called to bear the image of God and care for those around them. Luke 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this must be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him a throne over his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One is to be born and he will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. 
for no word of God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Three things I want to talk about, God's care and uh, spiritual maternal care for Mary, and then also how Mary reflected that um, in her own life. First thing we see is this aspect about Mary is trust. In, in the scripture, we see in Luke 1, 28, it says, highly favored. Mary was highly favored. We also see um, in, uh, down like verse 31, says, you have found favor. So, so what does this mean, right? Does Mary, was there some type of divine uh, contest of who is the most holy virgin of them all? And God found, well, this Mary's pretty good. We'll go with her. I think the scripture is much more intentional about that. It says this in Galatians 4, 3, and 5. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption. There was an appointed time for this to take place. I think a better way to understand why Mary was selected was not, is not to say Mary won the great virgin contest and so then was able to give birth to God. But actually, Mary was appointed from long time before, and the character qualities of God were developed in her from a young age. They developed in Mary, and that first and foundational thing is that Mary was obedient. If you did a word uh, chart of all the different words commentaries use about Mary, the big one in the middle would be obedient. Mary was obedient to her calling, obedient to what she is called to do. Obedience is simply a response to the fact that Mary really trusted God. When the angel first shows up, Mary is not like, oh, yes, Lord, right? It's, it says Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting that might be. Basically, Mary is like, who are you and what are you doing in my bedroom? What is going on? But by the end of the angel describing the words of God and giving to her what would happen with the rest of her life, by the end she received this. She accepted this and accepted what? For sure an incredible honor that she would be given. But there's a lot more to what she was accepting. She was accepting life on the run Accepting a life filled with antagonism and disbelief from others. Accepting a brand new family identity for everyone in her family. We see in Matthew 13 had at least five other children and how that would impact her other kids as well. But Mary, upon hearing from her God, responded with that which had been developed and nurtured into her already. She trusted. She was willing to obey. Spiritual motherhood requires trust. Speaking to you ladies out there, as you are mothering your children or perhaps uh, living out that calling of motherhood in our church or in another church you might be a part of or in various places in your life as you look to nurture and care for others, trust is a deep foundation of spiritual motherhood. 
I heard from a matriarch in my life. She said this. She was facing a bunch of difficult um, situations in her own world and was, was talking to me about the overwhelming feelings and anxieties and worries that would come her way as she was facing this really difficult situation. And she said this to me. It's a great expression of trust. Looks like I didn't put it up there. It, was, it says this. She says, I learned that sometimes my feelings can be an idol. I fight, my, I fight living by my feelings every day and will struggle with this till the day I die. I've learned to wake up and say to God, I'll do what you say no matter how I feel. Trust is deeply learning to trust God's voice more than our own voice. Another spiritual matriarch I talked to a couple months ago, a month and a half ago, and I had a high triggering event, we'll call it, and just uh, led me down a lot of path of anxiety and worry and, and uh, through our own journey of prayer. And I ended up talking to this woman who, who means very much to me, uh, this older woman, and she says, Ben, here's what I want you to try to do. She said, I want you to practice this, the practice that she'd done herself is to say when you come up against an anxiety or a fear or a situation feeling too much, is to simply respond with the words, I trust. I trust you, God, with this. I trust you here, right? Which means that kind of living is, I trust you with my situation. I trust you with my job. I trust you with my finances. I trust you in the face of coronavirus. I trust you as I know those who are ill. I trust you as I fear those who might become ill. I trust you to continually come up against situations, not just recognizing how large they are, but to say in the midst of that, like Mary, I trust Spiritual motherhood requires trust, and I deeply believe this, is that spiritual mothers lead by their trust. The greatest gift you moms can give your family is your love and affection and trust of your God. Trust and release, beautiful release of yourself and your family to him. This is so important in our own church. I love how Jesus built his church. Jesus established his church with uniquely, faithfully trusting um, individuals who were women. The women paid for his ministry. There were more women than there were disciples at his. There was one disciple and four women who attended him as he died. Others scattered. Two women were the first ones to see him as the resurrection. He risked his own reputation with Mary Magdalene and the Samaritan woman to demonstrate the significance and importance that he placed on women in Scripture. And these women beautifully demonstrated not only God's care and affection and nurture for them, but their tremendous trust in all circumstances of him. I very much believe that there's a revival of prayer happening at Fellowship Community Church. I've said this a number of times. I believe God is leading that revival in our midst right now by a praying group of women 
everywhere I seem to turn, I see more women praying and seeking God in an incredible way. I believe in that way, God is leading a prayer revival and doing it through the women of our church. Their trust leads the way. The church of Jesus has and always will be built on spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. Their obedience to Christ will build or break down the church. I am so thankful for the so many of you women who are leading in our church and bringing us deeper to understanding the maternal care of God by your attitude and hunger to trust in him. This trust led to sight. Mary, we, this is a unique aspect of Mary, and you saw that slide a couple of times. Sorry, I'm doing my own. By the way, if you wonder what is going on in the room, I'm just standing in a room by myself. So I don't know if anybody will watch this till Sunday, so I can do kind of anything. Probably should edit that out. Probably won't just to see if they don't. Okay, so anyway, Mary, sight. Uh, Mary's the one who is taught to see. The nurture of God taught Mary to see by his maternal care for her was then reflected out into others. The, something about the human being, this is what I believe. The human cannot get their eyes off of themselves until they know they are secure and loved. We can't get our attention. We, we tire of all of our self-focus. We are not able to pull our attention off ourselves until we really deeply believe and know that we are secure and loved. The God who Mary knew, she knew him as in a way was a relationship of deep attachment. And in that attachment, Mary had the freedom to reflect him by her care for other people. She could see, she could get her eyes off herself because she knew she was seen and known by God. This uh, El Roy is a name of God given in a text about a single mom in the book of Genesis. And uh, God comes to this woman and she says, you are the El Roy. As she saw his maternal care for her, you are the God who sees. Mary deeply lived that out. And also we see in, in Bible verses Luke 2.19 and Luke 2.51, different times where it says Mary saw and pondered these things. Mary would see and ponder them in her heart. She noticed, pondered these things in her heart a couple different times there in Scripture. Next, in being teaching to see, she was present consistently. We see Mary with Jesus. She could see what was going on. She could uh, be aware of what the needs were because we always saw her with Jesus. Joseph's involvement in the story stops um, when Jesus was 12 in the temple. That's the last we hear of Joseph. And most historians believe he died by the time Christ began his ministry. But throughout stories of Christ... We see Mary, and Mary is the only one present at his birth and at his death. Part of that seeing is not just noticing, not just watching, but also Mary was a feisty advocate. 
One of my favorite passages is this, the first miracle at Cana. Jesus says, she comes to Jesus and says, I think you should do a miracle. And Jesus says, I, I don't think my time is ready. And basically she's like, yep, time's ready. Let's do it now. And the advocation of Mary was for some people who would have been very societally shamed by not having enough at their party and having enough wine at their party. And so she gets Jesus to begin his ministry. Why? Because she saw the needs. And but more than seeing, she also advocated. For spiritual mamas out there, uh, you have advocacy for your kids. Many of you know what that is. It's that mama bear that talks about in the book of Hosea. Societal advocacy. We think of heroines like Rosa Parks and so many others that saw a problem and were willing to risk their own selves to get in the way, to advocate for the needs of other people. Spiritual advocacy in our church is so important, happens all the time, needs to continue to happen. Why? Because God uniquely lives out his image in women as he uniquely lives it out in men. But as he uniquely lives it out in women, it is often with this idea of them seeing, recognizing those that need to be seen and heard and cared for and advocating for them. It is a reflection of the nurturing nature of God. Mary could trust and Mary could see, lastly, because Mary was blessed. This word's got a lot of different thoughts on it, depending on your tradition. Uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary, you may have heard of that. That comes from this text in Luke chapter 1. She says, uh, Mary says, of all women... I am blessed. Now, this blessing, I believe, is not blessed with a capital B as in she has achieved something on her own, as in she is the blessing, but she is blessed as in she has received the blessing. It's a gift received by someone who's able to give it, God giving the blessing. How was Mary, in the words of the text, blessed? How was she blessed and how can we learn from that blessing? She was blessed by the role that she was given. Sorry, here's the text of the blessing. Now generations will call me blessed. She was blessed by her role. She was given an incredibly unique role in all of history. No other woman has been called to be the mother of Jesus except for Mary. She was also blessed because Christ always looked out for her. This is something we can see in the text that's so precious about Christ and the way he looked out for her. We see this uh, ultimately lived out in um, when Christ is on the cross and there's seven statements that Christ gives and one of them is directly to his mom and he says to his mom, mom, now this John right here, he's gonna be like the oldest child of the family and John, this is like your mom and it says after that, John took Mary into his own household the, the extent and care of Christ is deeply demonstrated. And even at that cross event, as well as others throughout their life, there is this great sense of the Elroy, of God's maternal care happening. And we can see that in Christ saying, I see you, I see you even when your son is suffering, husband has died, can see you through all the different situations. And, and here's what's really, really beautiful about Christ's relationship with Mary is it also 
we become participants in that same kind of relationship. In Matthew 12, it says, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside waiting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting to speak to you. He replied, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This familial language that Christ uses to describe his people, uses family language as he does here, and says to be a part of Christ's family, to be a part of his people, that you receive that same incredible love that was given to his own family. This, we, this is a reality that we speak to men, women, children alike. The maternal, all-seeing God is the one who nurtures and cares for you. And perhaps you're like me who, who did a lot of reflection on what does it mean to be fathered by God would also ask you on this beautiful day for each of us, what does it mean to be mothered, to be nurtured and cared for by this God? Because both of them, both of these images reflect who he is to us. One last statement from spiritual mother, another spiritual mother in my life uh, was at Collingswood campus and we were uh, singing, getting ready for a song called uh, Christ is Enough for Me. And I turned to uh, a woman on the worship team and, and I, I told her, I said, hey, I love this song, but to be honest, people of my y younger generation, I find that we believe that Christ and something else is often enough. And we usually have a few ands. Christ is enough yeah, as long as I have uh, also a healthy family. Christ is enough as, as long as the finances are in order. Christ is enough if Christ and this other, my reputation or friendships or relationships are what I have them. I said, but I see in you and your generation a, a deep belief in many people that just Christ himself is enough. And, and, and I'm, I'm wrestling there and she just stopped me. And she said, Ben, we tried all of those things too. We looked for Christ and. It's just all those ands wore out. None of them were good enough. Only Christ lives on. Christ's care for you is enough to conquer all. We're going to stand and sing and invite Becky, Bobby, and Randy back up here to sing of the goodness of God, and you'll notice right from the first verse what we'll be singing. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want everyone in the room, except moms, to stand up. All right, we're going to sing this, and mom, if you want to, you can stand as well. But we stand in honor to you and in honor of our God who cares maternally. Let me just read the first verse of this song that we'll be singing, and you can see how it demonstrates this. It says, I've been held... In your hands, from the moment that I wake up until I lay my head down, I will sing of the goodness of God.
days I've been held in your hands From the moment that I wake up Until I lay in my head I will sing of the goodness of God goodness of God. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire in darkest night. You are close like no Goodness of God.